God's good, isn't he? Oh, I'm looking forward to spending some time in God's word this morning. Unlike any other book, isn't it? You can turn to the book of John, and we will be there in a bit this morning. And uh, if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Uh, sometimes I forget that people are watching online, and last Sunday my phone kind of beeped uh, during the middle of service, and it was an email from somebody that was watching online and just expressing their appreciation. So we just want to welcome uh, those of you online as well. Hopefully you'll visit us at Mount Nittany sometime. And uh, turn to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to begin... Uh, last week, we kind of had an introduction to this teaching series from the, from the Gospel of John as we're talking about the I am statements from the life of Jesus. And I want to just kind of, by way of introduction, you can turn to John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. This is not our uh, key verse this morning, but I believe it's kind of one of the theme verses for the book of John. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God, verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things, say all things, were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so after this key verse in, in the book of John chapter 1, Verse 1, this proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God sent from the Father uh, to finish the work uh, that he has uh, on this earth, which is why on the cross he, from the suffering lips of Jesus, he declared it is what? Finished. And so John goes on to say that God's own glory is made visible in Jesus. So chapter 14, verse 9, just by way of introduction, says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And what he does is Jesus is is he's glorifying the Father, and in him, the Bible says, he's full of grace and truth. And so we have in the Gospel of John these seven statements, these seven I am statements from the lips of Jesus to give kind of the reader of a picture into who Jesus is. And so it's no accident that these I am statements, that there are seven. Because seven in the, in the Bible is, is a number that represents completeness and perfection, both spiritually speaking and physically speaking. So in, in the Hebrew language, the word seven comes from the root that means to, to be full or fullness. The word created is used seven times in God's creative work in the book of Genesis. There are seven days in a week. The Bible as a whole was originally divided into seven major divisions and The number of seven, if you read through the book of Revelation, over 50 times this number uh, is referenced, and it's a very biblical statement. So there's no mistake that there are seven I am statements, giving us kind of a perfect and complete picture of who Jesus is. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3 this morning, before we still get to our key verse, I still want to just kind of introduce these I am statements. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 through 15, where God is revealing himself to Abraham. Look at what he says in chapter 3. Moses says to God, he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God says to Moses, so God's revealing himself to Moses. He says, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am the, the one that has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so we fast forward to the gospel of, of John. He makes it very clear that, that the, Jesus is the I am. And we see that the Jews actually want to kill Jesus for these bold, outrageous statements that he makes in the, in the gospel of John. In chapter 8, verse 52, in the story, the Jews ask Jesus, they say, you are not yet 50 years old and you've said that you've seen Abraham. And Jesus answered them in a way that they all could not miss. Jesus responds, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying that I am God in the flesh, that what Abraham was waiting for, I am he. What Moses encountered at the burning bush, Jesus, Jesus is. And so in all of these I am statements, Jesus is kind of his identity, his salvation that he offers is, is being brought together. And the people of that day, when they, uh, when, when they had written and kind of they had built their lives sort of around the Old Testament events, and they knew that the father Abraham, they knew the stories of the Exodus and the foretelling of the prophets, and, and Jesus used these outrageous declarations, and he's directly associating himself with God. And the Jews' reaction to this statement, those that are waiting, they're longing for the Messiah. And now Jesus comes and he claims to be equal with God. You would think that they welcome him. You'd think that they would celebrate it. But in verse 59, the Bible says, when Jesus makes these statements, that the Jews begin picking up stones. And then Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus hides in the Bible. He's making these bold declarations, and the Jewish people, they're, they're beginning to pick up stones, and the Bible says that Jesus slips away from the temple grounds. So he declares, this is who I am. This is an accurate picture of, of who I am as the Messiah. Last week, we talked about three of the outrageous claims that he made, that he said that he's God, that when you see Jesus, you're actually seeing the Father, that the Father and I are are one. We said that he's the, he's the savior, not only to Zacchaeus, not only to the Jewish people, but, but to the Gentiles alike. That religion is not man trying to climb the mountain, trying to reach to God, but Jesus is God reaching down to, to man. And then the third outrageous claim was that he was the only way to heaven. That only through Jesus that people, you and I have access uh, to God. And so these seven statements that we're going to jump into over the next couple weeks, they represent completion. They represent kind of a perfect picture of who Jesus is. It would be as if an architect put seven blueprints together for a diagram. It would be like a child taking seven puzzle pieces and putting those things together to get an accurate picture of who Jesus is or an artist that picks up seven brushes and paints kind of the perfect picture of Jesus. And here's what he declares. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And in each one of these statements, he's saying, I am and you're not. So he's saying, I am the bread of life. You're not the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
And then he empowers you and I to what? Be the light of the world. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. This morning, I want to talk for the next few minutes about the declaration as Jesus declares. He says, I am the bread of life. Would you stand this morning and turn to John chapter 6? John chapter 6, verse 35. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. He says, I am, say he is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your word would be like a lamp that illuminates the path before us. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus through these I am statements in every way. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us this morning from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, moment of confession. I uh, absolutely love bread. And uh, I was at Panera not too long ago. And the lady, as I was ordering soup, said, would you like that in a bread bowl? Or would you just like that in a regular bowl? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why would anybody want broccoli cheddar soup in a porcelain bowl when it can be housed in a ball of carbohydrates, right? I mean, crispy on the outside, gooey on the inside. I don't really, just put like a drop of soup in there and I'll just eat. I love bread. I mean, I love the bread from uh, Texas Roadhouse with that cinnamon butter. There's like a drug in that or something. I don't know what that is, but, but it's good. Then you cycle over, you go to Outback and it's those loaves, those dark loaves. Cross over Atherton Street. Go over to, uh, I'm blanking on the name, the seafood place, not really, I mean chain. Red Lobster. Oh my goodness, I don't even eat seafood. Those cheddar biscuits. Bread is just awesome. I remember a friend of mine when I was in New England one time took me to this sub shop. He's like, You'll ne- you've never seen anything like this before. And so we order this sub, and it's like on this fresh loaf of bread that they cut in half, and they fill it with like boar's head meat, and they set it down in front of you. It's like the size of your your head, and I remember like pushing it down, like how on earth am I going to get this, I love bread, I just absolutely love it, I don't have like, you know, a strange addiction to it or anything creepy like that, it's just good, I mean, I stand sometimes in the bakery section at Wegmans, and it's like, oh, God is so, so good, and, and here's the problem, just this is confessional time, so it's all right, it, it, it would be okay if I enjoyed exercising, right, I mean, no problem, no problem, but, you know, I did some sit-ups this morning. I sat up out of bed and got dressed. And I run occasionally, like if one of my children is running towards the road. I'll... But so the challenge for me is, like, I, I absolutely love carbohydrates, and, and I absolutely despise exercising. And I know that if, you know, many of you, you secretly have this problem as well. And so the three choices you have are what? You know, love exercising so you can eat whatever you want. 
Or sit at those restaurants and just say, Jesus, Jesus, help me not to not to eat this stuff. Or just live it up and eat whatever you want. You know, so those are the three three options, and you can go ahead and just pray for me. But I love bread, okay? And and the pretzels, the soft pretzels that are gonna be here after service that are fresh and so forth in the foyer area. That was not necessarily even planned that I was sharing this message this morning, but God just kind of worked it out that way because he loves me. And so, so Jesus says, he says, I am the bread of life. Now this is interesting because Jesus comes from the city of, or the town of Bethlehem, which make no mistake is, is interesting because Bethlehem in the Hebrew means what? Any of you know? House of, house of bread. And so the one that comes from the house of bread, the one that's saying I fulfill all of these things in the Old Testament is now declaring, he says, I am the bread of life. And now they're grabbing stones like, let's kill him. And so when you read the Bible, you've got to look at the context. The context of this verse is Jesus had just fed the crowd and we have the amazing kind of miracle of the multiplication of of the food. And even after this amazing miracle happens, and, and the miracle is taking place in front of their very own eyes, through their very own hands, and it's as if they're still asking for a sign. I mean, the disciples are doing what a lot of times, Lord, just, just show me a sign. Have you ever said it? If the light turns green, you know, if, just give me a sign. And she's like, really? I just fed all these, and you, you want a sign. Which is interesting, because I think sometimes we feel like signs and wonders are just the answers to everyone. You know, as long as we pray for people, as long as they experience miracles, all of a sudden they'll give their lives to Jesus. And, you know, the reality is that sometimes doesn't happen as well. You and I should always be willing to pray for the sick, but, but, but you know, don't always assume that signs and wonders, all of a sudden people give their lives to Christ. The disciples are seeing signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders, and they're doubting and they're questioning and they're confused, and, and now they're looking for this. And in the, Old Te- in the Old Testament, God had provided for the Israelites manna from heaven. And they were told back in the times that, that they were only required to kind of take a day's supply and that they were to trust God would send more and more the next day. So the manna served not only as salvation for the physical needs, but it was a sign of God's provision to them. And so God knew that, that you and I needed much more than, than just physical needs met, but that Jesus has come now to meet our, our every spiritual need. And so his son, Jesus, the bread of life, is now here in our midst. I mean, in Exodus chapter 16, they brought the manna their forefathers had eaten in the wilderness and established the context for this statement as Jesus is declaring, I am the bread of life, and when you partake of me, you'll never go hungry again. That you and I get a sufficient amount at salvation. None of us are lacking. None of him is wasted. The Bible says... Taste and see that the Lord is what? That he's good. I want to talk to you just for a bit about bread, and then I have two just quick application points this morning. But I believe the challenge for so many of us is that the profound nature of just kind of everyday things can tend to get lost in translation uh, over the years. And so you can hear this statement that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And, and, you know, we're in State College, Pennsylvania, kind of in the middle of, you know, nowhere. You know, if you're driving into town for football weekends, you know, all of a sudden State College shows up. But I've had so many people, they're like, where, where is this area, you know? 
And so here we are in the middle of State College, Pennsylvania, and you're talking about the bread of life, but really, so what? What's the big deal? It's just bread. Some of you, you live kind of a gluten-free lifestyle. Perhaps you live a low-carb lifestyle, and to be perfectly honest, bread is just not important to you. You see it as something with no nourishment or nutritional value. It's simply just the ends of a sandwich. Sometimes our kids, you know, what's the first thing they do when they get a sandwich? They just throw the crust away. And I'm, I'm watching that and I'm thinking, wow, people around the world would, would just, I mean, it's just the things that we waste and the things that we have in excess. And you can say, so what's the big deal about bread? We just throw it away. And yet in the biblical times, bread was central to life. In the times of Jesus declaring this with his lips, the stalks of grain that were carried from from men were kind of all over the place. Without bread, there was no life. There were several types of bread in in the times of the Bible. There was barley bread, which is like for the lower classes, the poor people. That was the bread that the young boy brought in the miracle of the 5,000. There was wheat bread, and, and families that, that had, had wheat bread were kind of seen as the people that had, quote-unquote, arrived. When Jesse sends David, he sends him with, with flat loaves, which is the third type of bread. They were similar to pancakes. And it's interesting, in the Jewish culture, uh, the dough was mixed uh, with leaven. They would make these thin cakes. They were round or oval, and then they would bake them, unless it was the Passover, and obviously it was unleavened bread. It was made... In their homes, it was made many times on the ground. It was heated by a fire. They would cover it, and then they would heat it with with some of the embers. And some of the towns would have professional bakers that would use ovens. They would stay up at night, sometimes would sleep through the night. And bread was just kind of central to their culture. It was central to life. Many travelers, even today, and certainly back in the times of the Bible, they didn't go anywhere without several days' worth of, of bread. They carried it with them. Which is why, really, when you look at the miracle of the 4,000, Jesus began feeding the people after several days because their supply of bread that they had carried with them had run out. I want you to see how central it was in the period of time in the Bibles. That was Jewish culture. But the Palestinians, they, they believed that bread had kind of this mystical, sacred meaning. There was such reverence for bread that when they were breaking bread in the home, they wouldn't even stand up or greet or acknowledge a guest that would come in to the home as they were breaking bread. Why was it breaking bread? Well, many of them believed that if you would cut bread, it was as if you were cutting life itself. And bread was so significant. It was so culturally relevant in that period of time. Even the sowing of the seed and the baking of the loaves, they would do many of these things. They would do it in the name of God. And so make no mistake about it. It was very central, which is why we have the famous prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Give us this day our, our daily bread, enough bread one day at a time. And so these critically important things in Scripture many times lose significance because so much of, of what we have today is, is mass-produced, isn't it? I mean, they'll take a product, and in order to you know, mass-produce it, make a lot of money, they'll take out uh, so many of the, the natural nutrients and so forth that were replace with, with artificial ones so that they can turn a buck and make, make a profit. 
One of the things I think it's so important, uh, as, as Jared had shared a couple weeks ago and just kind of spoke a word over this church, one of the things that I want you just to realize from my heart as a pastor is that I don't believe that churches or disciples or anything is mass-produced, spiritually speaking. There is nothing that works in God's kingdom except complete and total surrender to him. So when Jared said a couple weeks ago that God's going to accelerate this church, he's going to build this church, please know, I don't believe that it's connected with, well, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do that, it's kind of like the sweet spot, and bam, God will build it. It doesn't work that way. Nothing in God's kingdom is mass-produced. It always happens through surrender. Every spiritual blessing that comes from God flows through the tunnel of humility, And just as things are mass-produced like bread in the body of Christ, so many times we want to try to mass-produce things and kind of work it up, and then all of a sudden, quote-unquote, it works. And and so many of those times, the the flesh kind of creeps in, and, and it's a very dangerous place to be. God will build this church as we surrender to him, as we trust him, and we say, God, you know what, this is this is your church, and you will take care of accelerating those things. There are two things I want you to see about bread this morning. And then we'll pray in close. Two specific things. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This thing that is so central to your life, that you carry it, that you treat it in, in just as, as valuable, as spiritual, as significant. He says, I am the bread of life. In that statement, he was saying many things. But two specific things I want to share with you this morning that I believe he was saying. He's saying that I am, or he is, our satisfaction. That I am your satisfaction. And if you really think about it, people spend their whole lives in search of something to to provide satisfaction or something that will provide contentment. And these things that you desperately search for and people are searching for all throughout our city, 24 Seven, 365 days a week. The things that you pursue for satisfaction and contentment tend to be the things that define your life. Not only are they the things that define your life, they are the things that identify what you value to your children, and they are certainly the things that you will be remembered for when you pass from this life into eternity. You ever go to a funeral? Somebody says, ah, he's just such a family man. Well, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with, with being a family man. But you know what? At the end of my life, I'd much rather say, you know what? Somebody say, he's a man of God who loved his family. Well, he's just a family man. Or he's, he's a nice guy. He's a hunter. Oh, man, he loved Penn State football. As wonderful and as fun and Exciting as football is. What an insult to slip from this life into eternity and be identified with a sport. The things that you and I pursue for satisfaction and contentment, make no mistake, they're the things that define our lives, they're the things that you and I will be remembered for. And I believe in this statement, Jesus is saying, would you desperately... Pursue me as the bread of life. Would you passionately 
pursue me. I believe how central bread was in their culture and how much time and energy and effort was put into the whole process. Jesus is saying, I am that. I am to be that in your life, the very center of of everything, that we tend to hunger and thirst desperately for so many things. Can you find your satisfaction and your contentment in, in him and him alone? And the difficulty for all of us, myself included, is that we really sometimes don't know what it's like to be desperate for God. Because there are very few times that we're desperate, if any, for food. It's linked. You can call a church to fast, and it's almost like it's a national crisis. What happened? You're actually telling us not to eat. That's what happens sometimes when you take people's God away from them or a God away from them. We don't know at times what it's like to be desperate for God because he's the bread of life. And how many times have we had to really be desperate for food? And yet you travel around the world and you see people that are hungering and they're pursuing God and it's just Unbelievable, but they're the same people in a lot of those countries that are eating one meal a day, if any. We were driving home from the beach a couple weeks ago, and I made the horribly poor choice of leaving at the wrong time, and we ended up at downtown Center City at 5 o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> and my kids are saying, Dad, I'm hungry. When are you going to stop? I'm like, not here. <laughs> So I thought, you know what, we'll get on 76 and get to the turnpike and so forth, and eventually, you know, we'll stop at one of those exits. So quickly, 5.30 comes around, 6 comes around, 6.30, and finally get on the turnpike, and you think that those rest stops are every couple miles, but they're every, like, 412 miles, you know? And so I heard no less than 25 times, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, when are we going to stop? You know, I'm like, I wish I could just pull a meal out of it thin air, but until you see the, the gas station, shut up, you know, I didn't say that, it's kind of what I was thinking, but I didn't say it, okay, so all of a sudden, Amos is like, you know, he, he's like, well, I'll pull out the big vocabulary, I'm not just, hungry. dad, I'm starving, oh, the parent in me wanted to say, what do you know of about starving, zip it, you know, but, you know, I was like, all right, buddy, you look for the place, and as soon as I find one, you know, we'll stop, you know. But really, starving, what's that? We don't know what it's like to hunger and to, to really, really, really pursue God. And yet Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I'll, I'll satisfy you. It's interesting as you look at history as World War II was drawing to a close, the Allied armies they had gathered many of the, the hungry orphans together, and they placed them in these camps. And these orphans that were not well fed, all of a sudden they began to be fed proper uh, meals. They had excellent care, and yet they were sleeping poorly. So they bring these orphans into the camp. They feed them. They're giving them their nutrition, and, and yet they're not sleeping. They seem nervous. They seemed afraid. And, and the psychologists came up with a solution. Here's what they did. They gave each child a small piece of bread to hold on to before they put them to bed. And that particular piece of bread, that which they were holding, wasn't eaten. But they began to realize that it produced wonderful results. 
the children all of a sudden began to go to bed, knowing instinctively that when they woke up the next morning, they would have enough food to eat the next day. And they began sleeping. Jesus says, you know what? In me, I am the bread. That spiritually speaking, when you have a relationship with Jesus, the bread of life, you and I really can be satisfied in him and him alone. I'm enough to satisfy you. You ever wonder, I said this many, many years ago, I think, but when Jesus fed the 5,000, and the Bible says that as that miracle was being kind of presented to Jesus, that the sun was beginning to set. And that miracle of the 5,000 took place as the sun was setting, and now the, 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 the meal has, has begun, and Jesus tells the disciples, 12 of them, he says, go out, would you collect the leftovers? Can you imagine? 5,000 men, plus all of the women and children, you're talking a massive amount of food. And then he tells the disciples, you know what, go and would you pick up all of the leftovers? Now, who, who does that? I mean, think of the guys that are picking up all the trash at Beaver Stadium this morning, you know. Jesus says, you know what, look out over this vast area. Now that the sun has setting, it's probably dark. And he says, will you go collect all of the leftovers? You've got to wonder if Jesus is standing back looking at the disciples in the dark, carrying these baskets, and in each piece of bread, in each back that is bent over, Jesus is praying, you know what? I hope these guys really come to realize that I can satisfy. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Why on earth are we doing this unless they're is a lesson as they stand there with those baskets full representing the bread of life that says, you know what, I, I'll take care of absolutely everything you have need of. He satisfies. David says in Psalm 107, 8 through 9, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So the natural question becomes, what am I searching for in order to find satisfaction and content? And so since you're asking that question, I'll just ask for two pieces of information. I'll ask for your checkbook, and I'll ask for your smartphone calendar. Now, my job as a pastor isn't to tell you what you're searching for for satisfaction, what you're searching for in order to be content in life, but I will tell you that I believe that is directly related to your money and your time. But the Holy Spirit's job is to say, as, as we talk from God's word and we talk about the I am that truly, truly, truly satisfies, what besides him are we searching for satisfaction, fulfillment, and content? And if you pray that prayer, I believe that one of the areas he'll, he'll kind of highlight or he'll put his finger on is where you're spending your time and where you're spending the things that he entrusts to you. So would you just pray that prayer today, this afternoon, this evening? Lord, would you search my heart for the things that I'm finding satisfaction in that are taking away from me pursuing you wholeheartedly? John Piper says this. He says, if we don't feel the strong desires for the manifestations of the glory of God, 
He said, it's not because you have drunk deeply and been satisfied, but it's because you have nibbled so long at the table of this world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. My fear is that you and I will begin to be satisfied in so many things that really at the end of the day don't matter. And it's not like you're going to go to hell for it. It's not like God's, you know, pushing you away. It's just simply saying, you know what? I am the I am. I can satisfy every area of your life. I think the second thing is that he's our sustainer. He supports us. He keeps us. He holds us together. He bears the weight of the structure of our lives. Colossians 1, 7, it says, He is before all things. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And so he says emphatically, he says, he is. He's, he's basically saying, I am the I am. I am the sustainer, but I am everything. He is before all things. That really, raw material that God used to create everything was, was nothing. I had somebody ask me a while ago, well, what did God use? Nothing. So he created everything with nothing? Yeah. No, but really, when you boil it down, what was, what, like, before all of it, before, like, if you rewind everything, what did he start with? Well, he was before all those things. That nothing is the raw material that he used to create everything. You just either believe it or you, you don't. Well, he had to start with something. Yeah, himself. That I pre-existed before everything, and I have the constant sustaining power for everything, in everything. Everything lives and moves, the Bible says, and has its being in him. And so just as food sustains us through the day, he says, you know what, I can take care of that as well. Well, Zach, am I supposed to be satisfied in Jesus? Or am I supposed to be... This is one of the biggest lines that you and I have to walk. Jesus, am I supposed to be satisfied in you? Or am I supposed to be hungry for you? Am I supposed to be satisfied and content? Or am I supposed to be hungry? And really, the only answer to that question is yes. Satisfied and hungry, satisfied and hungry, that we can completely come to the I am, the bread of life, and he, he does really satisfy us, but, but we can never lose our hunger for him. And I believe it's this hunger that sustains us. Satisfied and hungry. I want you to think about this for a minute. Now, some of you, you maybe you're not a low-carb person, but at times I, I have tried but it's hard when you have a bread addiction, right? So before we left for vacation, Ashley and I, and she's done much better of a job than me, I've tried this like no sugar thing, which means no bread. Yeah, it's like the devil's diet, right? And so for two weeks, I didn't eat any bread. Am I supposed to be satisfied or hungry? So for two weeks, I, 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 I'm not eating any bread. And I'm like watching my watch. It's like, okay, 11.59. No. But, 
But, you know, I go to bed at the end of it, and I, I ate some bread. And I woke up the next morning. You know what the first thing that hit my mind was? Not let's go get some cheese or lunch meat. It was like, where is some bread? Because you can you cannot eat bread for a period of time, but there's something addictive about carbohydrates, isn't there? And there's a whole chemical thing that I'll let, I'll save for somebody that's like way smart in that area. But there's a whole chemical thing that takes place. But anyway, but when you when you go from from eating uh, a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of bread, and you cut it off, and then you begin it, it all of a sudden you want more and more and more and more. Is this just me, or has this happened to you? If so, say yes. Yes. Okay, there's hands, and people are smiling, and you're, yeah, it's okay. So can I be, be satisfied, or can he sustain me? Here's the sustaining part. The more you, you pursue him, the more you taste him, the more you partake of the bread of life, you want him more and more and more and more. Those of you that are parents that have kids that are far away from the Lord, you raise them in a Christian home, you raise them in church, you've done your absolute best, and you see them kind of wandering off, you should take great hope in the reality that as soon as they consistently partake of the bread of life, there's almost as if this desire is met, and they want more, and they want more, and they want more of him because he sustains us. And really, one of the things that I was thinking about is at least in my relationship with God, is that the more I encounter situations and circumstances where, where I, 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 the demands are so high that it's almost as if I, I find just the richness and the reservoir and the deepness of his presence and his sustaining work in my life. That the more we pursue him, the more he sustains us in our lives. I want to close in just a minute. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The Jews that are waiting for the Messiah, they're like, yep, but we're going to kill you for declaring that. But he's like, if you only knew that I have the ability to satisfy you, if you only knew that I had the ability to sustain you. You know, more and more when we encounter challenges and situations and circumstances in our lives, the more we realize how good he is and carries us through those things. But please know when you come to Jesus, it's so much more than him forgiving your sins. Obviously, we believe as Access Church that Jesus is the only way to God, that no one comes to the Father but him, through him. But it's more than just forgiveness of sins. He satisfies and he sustains us. And the good news of the gospel, the message that you and I carry, is that not only God forgives sins, but regardless of whatever people are facing at work, they're desperately searching for something to be satisfied in. They're desperately searching for something that will sustain them. That's why they go from this to that to this to that to this, to that. And it seems like the more from a natural perspective people have, the more they're searching for satisfaction. Isn't that true? I mean, the drugs and alcohol among the celebrities and so many people that have so much in this world, and yet they're still searching 
for satisfaction. Would you stand with me this morning as Aaron comes and prepares to close? Would you close your eyes as we just come to the Lord in prayer? Maybe you're here today for the first time.